This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Good day, Scuttlebutt Nation. Bro here. And after what I thought was a long hiatus, struggling with computer issues, the tech gods have favored the foolish, and I'm back in business, baby. So we've got two shows that I'm really anxious to get off the ground in the next few weeks and a slew of other collaborations and announcements and projects in the pipeline here. If this is your first Scarif show, big thanks for trying us out, and we hope that you stick around for more. We hope you take a look at our back catalog of shows. We tend to pick topics that make you think and create a dialogue from stuff like what does it mean to have balance in the force or discussions on superheroes, ghosts, and the concepts of loss, propaganda in Star Wars and the real world, or any other topics that a thinking geek would enjoy. And speaking of thinking geeks, we're about to join DJ from our Red 5 Network family of pods, Rogue One Radio. We're going to be talking about our favorite Star Wars space battles. We looked at the impact each one had on the films, as well as the storytelling aspect, and we also threw in the Cool Factor rating. So much fun. So I mentioned collaborations. It's one of the things that we love doing here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. So don't miss next week's show as we team up with Abigail from the Manic Pixie Weirdo podcast. Had a great deep discussion about masks, both physically and psychologically. We wear them in our daily lives to some degree and so do our heroes and villains. I sat down with Abigail and we hashed it out. Abigail has a great podcast, should be a good show next week. So stick around after her promo as we get started on Star Wars Space Battles. Punch it, Chewie! <coughs> hear ye, hear ye, the dishonorable widow Abigail will now speak. Attention all weirdos, losers, rednecks, white trash, aliens, outcasts, outliers, sluts, whores, gangsters, thugs, poors, and anyone else who the world and society don't care about. I have a podcast for you. Come join me at the Manic Pixie Weirdo where we talk about all the different kinds of relationships we have in our lives. From movies to math and suicide hotlines to sex. Join us every Saturday for a new episode featuring yours truly and other smarter folk. We need you and we want you with us. So come join us at the Manic Pixie Weirdo, where we accept, respect, and value you. Listen on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, be kind and stay weird. Right, guys, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. I am running solo with no Brad and no Shanti, but I've got some great company. I've got uh, Mr. DJ Charlie Skywalker. What's happening, man? How are you today? It is a fantastic day in the neighborhood, Ralph. It is a fantastic day in the neighborhood, but uh, we're going to stray away from the neighborhood and go up into space on this episode. I was asking uh, some of our Red 5 friends about topics, and uh, I think I saw somebody post something about some space battles, and I wanted to kind of 
uh, go in on this one because space battles are cool, obviously. Loving everything uh, that we do, all the nerdy stuff. We've got plenty of space battles to to uh, to enjoy and regale us with some fancy flying, as uh, as they say up there. But uh, Star Wars is full of some amazing space battles, and I know you sent me uh, a, a list. Uh, we're going to go through that list, but I wanted to um, touch on. Uh, let, let's let's kind of go in chronological, not really chronological order. I want to go in release order of the movies, um, and obviously the the movies. I'm talking about Star Wars, that wonderful space franchise that we are all uh, really uh, into these days here at the Red 5 Network. But um, you had some pretty good ones, and I do want to get back into that list. Um, but I, I want to dive deep into the original Star Wars movie and talk about some of the space battles there. And 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 I wanted to also uh, talk a little bit about the the importance of these space battles, both, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in universe, but also kind of behind the scenes, as you know, I'm a, I'm a technical guy and I love all that behind the scenes stuff, but, um, give me, uh, your opinion on the space battles in star Wars, the original star Wars before they called it a new hope. Some of the greatest pieces of cinema that has ever been done. Yes. I remember as a young child seeing uh, space battles that uh, either on TV or in other movies where you could just tell that, you know, there's wires or, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it just looked fake. It just had no realistic value to it at all. Yeah, sure, it might have set your imagination going on what if, but Star Wars is one of the first movies where you couldn't tell that it was not real. That opening shot with the Tantive coming across the screen and then the size of it and then the, the Star Destroyer chasing behind it and the immensity of that it really put into scope uh, how grand this film uh, was going to be. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because obviously that is the opening shot. Right after the credits, you had those two ships that fly over. And I always say, you know, as a kid, you sit there in the theater and your jaw drops. It is such a well-designed shot and it really set the bar high for, for a movie's especially of that genre uh, in the future. They, everybody tries to copy a, kind of a Star Wars-ish um, feel. Uh, George Lucas did such an amazing job. And we'll, I, I want to get into the dogfights and how he edited the sequences using World War II footage in a minute. But I do want to – I, I want to spend some time talking about this, this opening shot because, you know, after the credits – you're sitting there, you don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden these ships start to fly by. It's such a, it's such an impactful scene that starts out this saga, you know, back in 77, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I know I, I, there's a certain words that I use quite often. And I, I think I have to, um, I have to flip through a thesaurus, but dude, that is an amazing shot. <laughs> 
Oh, lack of a better word. It's it's an amazing sequence, an amazing shot. And, um, you know, I, I, I can totally remember, you know, watching uh, even the uh, the Flash Gordons, like you mentioned earlier, about the ships with the strings. And you can, you know, you can watch any of the Flash Gordons that are available on DVD or disc now and, you know, see how kind of goofy the, the, the thrusters are. The, the, you know, it's almost like they put firecrackers on the engines uh, of <laughs> toys and just kind of dragged them around in space, hung them around there. But yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we we can't uh, we can't overstate the work that ILM has done in in cinema, and uh, at the time, obviously groundbreaking. But these films, um, because of the work that those people did, you know, it still looks great. It looks fantastic. I love the work. I love the look. I love the sequence uh, of these shots. Um, I can't say enough good things about the opening sequence to to this movie. And it really sets the believability factor of uh, of the whole movie. If you can buy into that opening shot, then everything else that's inside it, you can you start to believe in. Whether it's the different races in the cantina, whether it's a space station that's the size of a moon, you can believe it. All because of this one shot that is just so incredibly done and just draws you in and has your mouth hanging open within the first few seconds of the movie. Yeah. It just makes everything so believable. And that carries on throughout the entire saga of the star Wars universe. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, talking about believability, uh, we won't get into the, uh, the look and feel of the star Wars universe. That's a show all, uh, all onto itself. Um, uh, but you know, the, there's even the way the, the ships looked, you know, talk about believability. Uh, you know, we, we all know that star Wars and George Lucas wanted to have this universe feel like it was lived in nothing too shiny, nothing too new. Everything needed to have, that feel that you know it's it's part of a real universe so you know those ships uh, definitely had that feel we cut back into the uh, the hallway with the droids and obviously you know as little kids uh, our minds are blown once again um, but uh, you know a, a lot of great things kind of came together to make um, to make this film what it is, uh, a historic benchmark in cinematic history. Um, so we, we get to the, we, we get to the sheer size of the star destroyer in, in the opening sequence. And, you know, it's, it's, it's love at first sight, obviously for me, I want to talk a little bit about the impact of, of some of that stuff. And obviously in story, we had the Imperials chasing after Princess Leia. We all know that she had certain plans to a certain uh, space station. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal. I think it's great. Um, what is, uh, any, any other thoughts on this sequence here? Because this is, it's a short battle, but it's very, like I said, it's, it, it has such an impact on you and it's very important to the understanding of the story going forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you, you get right away, um, that someone is being chased for some reason. And as the story progresses, you find out that, oh, well, this is a little ragtag uh, group 
that has these smaller uh, smaller vessels, and they're going up against the might of the uh, the empire, uh, and who want to get what was taken from them back at uh, at any cost. Uh, so much of a cost that they're going to send their top enforcer out. Uh, in order to uh, make sure that uh, those plans are reclaimed. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not still for this. When they hear you've attacked a diplomatic... Don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to the ship by rebel spies. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take that away! That's even evident in all of the space battles. You have, um, you know, these uh, X-Wings versus TIE Fighters. You have the, uh, the smaller uh, worn ships uh, up against the, uh, the newer looking, the heavier, the mightier uh, ships of the empire, uh, and that you just get that feeling that there's no way that this little group of, uh, rebels is going to be able to succeed yet by, uh, somehow in some way, uh, they end up doing it. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I, I want to, um, let's, uh, let's cut to, uh, behind the scenes and um, a while ago, I did a episode with Nick over at Backyard Tardis. We talked about mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, and we mentioned the uh, the name John Dykstra, who is responsible for the motion control camera system that was used in Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica. Um, one of the one of the advantages of having a camera that moves on a track that is computerized is that you can tell the computer, um, you can program a certain camera move that equates to a swooping or, you know, sweeping motion of, of a spaceship. Um, and then obviously back in the day, you had to do all of that optically, you know, digitally, you can just do it once and then lay images on top of each other. Back in the day, they had to do it optically where you had take a certain piece of film and you lay that across another piece of film that you shot. And uh, if they were out of line or if they were out of alignment, then obviously you can tell that something was, was off. So this motion mm-hmm. control camera had the ability to remember a move and do it, you know, five times, 10 times, 20 times, enough times to get um, all of the elements um, in that shot. I think John Dykstra's innovation with motion control really, um, I want to say, added to the scope and the grandiose uh, movements of of the spaceships across the screen in, in Star Wars. Um, and I think that adds a lot of, of depth to it. it uh, again, going back to what you said, it, it adds that believability that they're not on strings. And actually, you know, back in the day when I mentioned Flash Gordon, the spaceships were hanging on strings and the camera for the most part was stationary. So in this method, the spaceships are stationary and the camera is what's moving, which I, I, I find that fascinating. Uh, I always have, and it's something that is still being used today when they go back. You know, we talked about um, 
we know that the Mandalorian had some special effects that kind of went back to the drawing board uh, with some practical spaceship effects. Um, but I, I find that that method really, to me, I prefer it more than 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 the digital because it's just it's it looks so so wonderful. What do you what do you think? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I still can't believe, and I've watched. I don't know how many different documentaries that they made about how Star Wars was made. Uh, I know that there was uh, the Empire uh, one, uh, just the behind the scenes things on the different VHSs and the the Blu-rays. And it seems like every time that they came out with one, they had a different behind the scenes. And like you, I just I I soaked it up. I, I absolutely loved the nuts and bolts of it and how they put it together. And because it absolutely stole my heart and I, I want to, you know, if you could figure out what is it about these movies that captivated me so much uh, and it just ends up being, you know, damn near everything in there. Um, but it, yeah, it, the way that the camera behaves and the ability for them to uh, create shot after shot, even if they, um, you know, if something changes, uh, they can change things a lot easier on, you know, this way, rather than having to make sure that it's all lined up and the model is here and the model behaves this way. Uh, and it, what is the, exactly is the camera going to do? And they already know all of that. So they can change things out. They can add different layers uh, on the fly. All right, well, let's look at this one. Well, that's not exactly what we want to do with it. Let's go ahead and uh, we're, we're going to change this angle just a little bit on the model. Now let's run it with through the camera and see how, you know, see how that looks. All right, great. That looks so much better. You know, we're going to run with that. And then they can move on to the next shot and they can ha- set up a whole lot of different, uh, you know, ships using the same method. Uh, once they figured that part of it out, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say easy peasy. I know it's not, but uh, <laughs> they knew what they could work with. And sure. yeah, it was, uh, you know, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and uh, yeah, the the practical effects uh, are a whole lot better, at least to me, than the just the digital effects. Um there are scenes that uh, that were redone uh, throughout various um, iterations of Star Wars that you could tell what was added and what wasn't. It wasn't just, you know, the, the digital effects were good, but not quite on the same level as the practical effects. Absolutely. And there's one shot in particular that I'm going to mention and it's on your list of, uh, I think it was an honorable mention, the, uh, one of the battles in Return of the Jedi towards the end of the, uh, the third film in the original trilogy. Um, obviously, I said, I mentioned that all these shots were done optically. And there is one point where uh, the Millennium Falcon comes racing across the screen and uh, comes in front of a, a set of TIE fighters. And um, again, watching all these behind the scenes documentaries, you 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 retain certain things that uh, 
that those uh, special effects geniuses said uh, about these documentaries. But you can always tell, too, if I watched uh, the original, my original version of uh, Return of the Jedi, you can see that the TIE fighters were masked out but not replaced with, with TIE fighters as the Millennium Falcon crosses the uh, – the, the line of sight. So you see the Millennium Falcon, you see uh, TIE fighters behind it, but then all of a sudden there's uh, a set of, of H's, you know, the, 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 uh, the shape of a TIE fighter in front of the Millennium Falcon. And that, um, I found it funny because a lot of the special effects people said that it's always bothered them. It goes by so fast. I think it's like four <laughs> frames, but it still bothers them that they, they missed a, a, a composite, of the TIE fighters, um, on mm -hmm. one of the runs. And obviously they were able to fix that during the, uh, the digital release and the special editions going back in there and, and kind of, uh, you know, re recompositing that, uh, that image. But it's so funny that, uh, you know, George Lucas is known for fiddling with stuff, but you know, it's, it was a process and, uh, you know, there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of back and forth, but uh, it, it just shows you how ambitious um, the technicians were. Even back in the 80s, uh, in the 70s and 80s, especially that shot with Return of the Jedi, which came out in 83. Um, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's and, and the fact that that, uh, you know, that bothers them speaks to their professionalism. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's absolutely phenomenal that you know, no nobody other than us super nerds would <laughs> probably ever even notice it. Uh, right. But uh, you know, there we are to you know to bring it up. Hey, what's what's going on here? And then you know they they just you know facepalm and they, we don't want to talk about it. And you know, so but yeah, it's uh, it, it's great moments like that that make this. The, this franchise uh what it is and uh, the level of professionalism that went into it absolutely and you know talk about believability um l let's touch a little bit on the uh earlier i mentioned the world war ii footage mm -hmm. and um let's talk a little bit about how george lucas used that to kind of cut in to the edit to kind of show, you know, the editors and this and the and the people um, shooting the uh, the special effects, he wanted to, he wanted his space battles to be a certain way, and uh, again, just going back to the believability factor, he wanted them to be able to create shots that were believable when spaceships were flying to and fro. And I think, uh, you know, that's another testament to George Lucas's, you know, resolve uh, as far as making this space fantasy. You know, obviously it's a fable. It's it's a tale of, of, of morality and things like that. But, you know, it's like you said earlier, if some of these things didn't look believable, then the rest of it would kind of fall apart. I don't know. If, did, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, uh, I, I, man, because uh, I, I love watching documentaries, and I've seen a lot of the World War Two uh, fighter documentaries, uh, and the the way that Lucas painstakingly recreated some of those shots, uh, I, everything that was done before that was so linear. Now, right, you, yes, you, you had. 
you had up and down, you had left and right, but you did not. It, it things did not behave like it was in a three D world. And Lucas was like, you know what? That's a, they don't. They're not going to behave like that. Even planes aren't just up and down, left and right. You know, they operate in that uh, three dimensional space, and you don't know where they're. You know where they could come from. And so I had no problem whatsoever with him recreating a lot of those shots from uh, from footage from World War II. Uh, a lot of people are, oh, he just copied somebody else's work. Well, not really. I, he, he took shots uh, that were uh, available. Uh, and how are we going to make it look believable? How are people going to buy into this? Well, let's see. Here's how they actually do it with planes. Let's try to recreate something like that. And and it worked, and it was it was fabulous. When you see the uh, the uh, the Millennium Falcon with uh, with Luke, uh, you know, and Han uh, the, in the gunner's chairs, uh, it, it, it I completely believed that they were in a three dimensional space, zooming in, out, up, down, sideways, every which way that they could. Uh, to dispose of the, those that are chasing after him. And it was absolutely 100% believable. The Empire Strikes Back, obviously the second uh, movie in the series of the original trilogy, but uh, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of events happen in space, and I think your your notes mention the the um, the what do you call it the the asteroid field uh, that our yes. heroes escape in. But uh, we get introduced to you know you thought the star that first star destroyer was huge. Uh, we get into we get introduced into the uh, Super Star Destroyer, The Empire Strikes Back, which is Vader's flagship, and uh, what a beautiful image that is! Oh, absolutely! It's um, man. Uh, if there is one Lego model that uh, that I would want <laughs> uh, now, and I think that would be the one, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous model. Um, it, it, it really strikes fear in you when you look at it. Uh, it's so ominous. And even when it's next to regular Star Destroyers, you can just see how immense this thing is. Uh, it, no wonder he had that, for, that one for his uh, flagship. It just, oh, wow. Chills. Absolutely. I, you know, I don't know about you, fear didn't strike fear it, 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 for me it was love at first sight so i don't know what you're talking about well oh <laughs> not, not, maybe not fear but uh it, fear for the rebels but uh, Absolutely. for us for us uh us visual people it's uh more of an uh you're just struck with awe and again getting back to the special effects of the times you know we're talking about the uh, early 80s uh everything again you know optically composited uh, a very difficult and uh tedious process you uh not only at, at this point in time not only did you have spaceships going back and forth but you had to have uh asteroids because they were being chased in in an asteroid field so you had a lot of images that are being composited you know the old-fashioned way 
with uh, with optics instead of digital. Uh, what a uh, what a tough cookie that was to crack. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, and I said this about uh, you know the the original Star Wars as well. You get you see the not just the sheer scale. Um, you have the Millennium Falcon, which um, holds cargo. It holds crew members. Um, and it, it's a fairly decent sized ship. It's, you know, it's bigger than, uh, say an X-wing. Um, and, uh, it's flying around all of these asteroids, which are, were, are massive compared to, uh, the TIE fighters that are chasing the, fa- the, the Falcon, the Falcon itself, because it actually hides inside an asteroid. It lands on one docks and they're trying to make their escape by landing on one of these huge uh, asteroids, and then you have these star destroyers and super star destroyers that are just pegging off the asteroids, you know, one by one, so they could make their way through it without getting harmed. And just the sheer scale of these things is huge, and uh, it's I, I loved seeing, uh, loved seeing just the uh, the differences in sizes that they had. Uh, for these ships and yeah wow it's incredible it's a visual treat for sure i want to rewind uh, a little bit because we got ahead of ourselves talking about return of the jedi i want to go back to you to star wars and the uh the death star trench which is obviously mm-hmm. a very iconic space battle you had you know the forces of 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 the the rebellion uh, getting ready to uh, see if they can uh, hit that exhaust port on the Death Star while uh, TIE fighters are chasing you. Uh, what an amazing sequence. And I think um, w- one of the things that really strikes me is, uh, and, I, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm off uh, diverging for a little bit, but one of the things that really hits me during that space battle, during that sequence, is there's a point in time where you're watching the action unfold with absolutely no music. You've got the sound effects of Ben Burt. You've got the editing uh, that happens in the sequence, and is it's so exciting. You're in there with the uh, with the ships. You're in there with the characters, and it's so um, it's so exciting. It's it's suspenseful, and then. There's a certain point in time when Luke launches is the first one or, or not Luke, but somebody launches the first missile and it misses and they have to go back around to try to, uh, to figure it out again. But the music starts up and it ramps up the excitement. It is so amazing. And I love the use or I guess I love the conscious decision to not have any music whatsoever during the first part because it makes this second part, the second Death Star trench run even more exciting um what do you what do you think about that just the and i keep talking about scale but uh this trench uh on this massive uh space station that's the size of a small moon uh you know barely fits an x-wing and then you have two tie fighters which are a little bit smaller uh and a little more maneuverable uh and they can uh only barely fit uh, two of them in there at a time. Uh, it's just, and you, like, like you said, you really feel like you are sitting right there with them. You're in this enclosed space. You can feel what they're trying to do and how important it is. And without all, you know, the music there, it's just, it's, you're sitting on the edge of your seat because you've had this musical journey 
ever since the movie started, the music hasn't stopped till now. And now it's it, you it focuses in on what you're what you're looking at, what the mission is, and it absolutely draws you in. And when that first shot goes off and oh, just a peck on the surface, and you're like, oh, you know, so close. All right, all right, well, you know, reset it, we'll try it again. And you just you get how huge of a moment that this is. Not necessarily the scale of the uh, of the ships, uh, but how pivotal this one scene is, and how they're giving everything in order to pull uh, pull this off. You mentioned how pivotal the scene is. You know, if if Star Wars was a one off and they only did this one film, I mean, this this was this was the moment. This was life and death. This was the pivotal scene that uh, determined whether the rebels were going to survive or not, because the Death Star is right around the corner. And uh, it, when it once it clears that uh, that moon, um, they're done for. So it's an amazing sequence. It, uh, as far as significance, it's probably you know high up there um, as far as significance goes to the story. And uh, what uh, what a bundle of nerves, uh, you know, when you're watching that because it's it's pretty amazing. I'm on the leader. The behind the scenes on how they even film that and how uh, the pieces and the camera as they shot it through uh, and you could see just the sparks and everything going across. If uh, if anyone that's watched, um, listening to this uh, that hasn't seen uh, the behind the scenes on how they did the, uh, the trench run, definitely go check that out. It's uh, it's definitely worth your time. Um yeah, it, absolutely phenomenal how they set this up and were able to create this shot. Yeah, and I, and I know you had mentioned that there's uh, several different uh, documentaries, but I think the one documentary that I really enjoy watching time and time again, it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of on repeat every couple of months is, uh, f- f- what is it called? From, from Star Wars to... To Jedi, the making of an empire. I think it's. I think that's the one. Yeah, that, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, you can't overstate the importance of of uh, certain space battles, and this one definitely is uh, one that uh, that is high on our list. Let's. Um, a- any other final thoughts on on space battles in the uh, original trilogy? I know we covered some very important ones. We had uh, the Empire Strikes Back, uh, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. Um, any other thoughts on any of the OT space battles? Uh, well, I'm going to uh, just uh, go up to uh, Return of the Jedi real quick. Um, in what I thought was significant uh, about uh, the final. Uh, space battle that they have there is you see it in two forms. You see it uh, from uh, the space side with, uh, with, you know, with all the ships uh, flying around. Uh, and then you also see it from the throne room 
uh, of the Death Star where Luke is out there and how cold and calculating that the Emperor was in order to lure the rebels into this trap uh, in order to use the anger of uh, of Luke, you know, he can see that their fleet is getting decimated and that adds fuel to the fire for him to turn to the dark side. And if it wasn't for that space battle that he could see from the comfort of the Death Star, uh, he might not have, um, you know, uh, the chances of him going to the dark side wouldn't have been as great because he didn't have that catalyst there. Uh, to do that. So superb work uh, for George, uh, the way that uh, you have the two views of that space battle. Absolutely. And the, uh, the cutting back and forth to the, um, the, uh, the space battle and uh, the scene that was unfolding between Luke Vader and uh, Palpatine um, masterfully cut and uh, you know, pretty well directed by uh, by director Richard Marquand. I, I'd have to say it's uh, it's uh, there's a lot of tension there, and uh, I know later on in the prequels, George Lucas gets a little flack for uh, too much uh, cutting between scenes, um, and I, I think, uh, namely, I have a, a personal issue with uh, with the Phantom Menace. There's a couple of times where. You know, things were getting good and they'd cut back to the Gungans uh, fighting out there. And uh, I didn't I didn't really want to be there. I wanted to to be uh, in in the other two areas, especially when um, when Darth Maul shows up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So speaking of prequels, um, let's uh, let's dive into some space battles of the prequel trilogy. Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, let's go with that first one. You know, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, released 1999. Um, and uh, probably the most fanfare of any film that I can ever remember. We uh, waited for so long to have George go back to a galaxy far, far away. And he did it in episode one, The Phantom Menace. Um, what, uh, what an incredible experience. If you did not experience that, if you were not alive back in 1999, it was really, really, uh, really, really cool. But, um, you know, talking about space battles in the prequels, you know, this is where we go into the realm of digital, all of the optics and the optical way of doing, uh, special effects for this trilogy, um, versus the original trilogy. Uh, you know, it's out with the old and in with the new, um, you know, we talk about, uh, digital special effects. This one has it all. Um, but, uh, you know, having said that, I, I think they, George Lucas, has a way of kind of maintaining the consistency. And even if the technology is new, I think a lot of the space battles that were created for the prequel trilogy still kind of maintained that, that look and feel of, uh, of motion of, of flight. And I think that's a credit to George Lucas. I think, you know, just because you have a new toy doesn't mean you have to use all the bells and whistles. I think, you know, George really decided consciously that, uh, you know, 
spaceships need to 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 move in a certain way uh, for for the story to be cre- uh, believable. And I think um, I think they they really accomplished something by making sure that that was the case. Um, any uh, any space but which space battles in in Phantom Menace um, do you uh, does come to mind? Uh, well, I mean, it's not even necessarily, uh, you know, uh, a space battle, but uh, it, it almost acts as one, and that's the pod racing scene. And, and the pods themselves are have the engines of ships strapped to a little car uh you know who what what kid uh you know when we were kids that age wouldn't have wanted to try something like that Uh, the different things that we used to do with like bmx bikes and uh and whatnot and you know it's uh if we would have had the the ability to put a uh, an engine on our uh, dirt bike and uh, have that carry us around we would have absolutely loved it Uh, so it's not necessarily a space battle, but I love the way that they uh, they interacted with each other. Um, they were still in a three dimensional space, and it was pivotal to the story of uh, you know Anakin being the only human that could uh, compete in the pod races. Uh, there really in the Phantom Menace, there wasn't a whole lot of space battles. Uh, Anakin going up into the Naboo starfighter um, comes to mind. Uh, but other than that, I really don't. There's not a whole lot in the Phantom Menace. Uh, we get a little bit more uh, in the other two films than we did in uh, the first one. And you know, somewhere uh, recently, I read that the pod racing scene originally was going to be um, three times as long, and uh, George uh, changed his mind and cut it down a little bit. I think you know the pod racing scene is definitely. Um, something that kind of harkens back to, to George's youth growing up in Northern California, growing up, uh, you know, uh, a, a lover of cars and, and fast, you know, fast cars, et cetera, et cetera. So I can see why George wanted to make that sequence long. I know the Phantom Menace was cut down um, and uh, kind of scenes were reshuffled, especially towards the end there. As I mentioned, the pacing that was an issue um, between the the Gungans and Maul and uh, Padme and crew trying to get to uh, to that control room area. But um, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. um, You know, one of the things that uh, that gets, again, gets, uh, gets a bad rap with Phantom Menace is the space battle at the end where little Annie is uh, flipping around and taking that Naboo star cruiser and making it spin. And maybe this is a good trick. Um, But uh, I guess we won't touch that. Try spinning. That's a good trick. Attack of the Clones, 
the uh, second installment in the prequel trilogy, um, and this is um, this is an interesting one because um, it, it's again out of the prequel trilogy. This one is probably a lot of people's least favorite, and um, I want to push uh, back a little bit. I, I actually like the. Um, the kind of uh, detective story that we get to see play out, especially with Obi-Wan Kenobi traveling to uh, Kamino and trying to figure out uh, what's up with the clones. Uh, but as far as space battles, um, I, I think I'm drawing a blank on this one. Uh, there's not as many uh, that I remember. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the, I mean, as far as actual space battles, we do have a, a chase scene uh, with the, you know, uh, through through the city. Um, but again, you know, does that constitute a space battle? Uh, but I mean, it is a great chase scene. Um, but it's not. I mean, it's not the space battles that we've normally uh, have uh, gotten in uh, previous Star Wars. Uh, there's a lot of groundwork that was uh, set up in these uh, in this prequel trilogy uh, to further the story rather than necessarily uh, do space battles. Uh, the other ones that I could think of is the uh, Obi-Wan and Jango Fett uh, chase scene, uh, which was in space, another asteroid scene. Other than those two, I really don't remember seeing much as far as space battles. Let's talk about that one because that is uh, that one left an impression on a lot of people, especially uh, due to a certain sonic charge, huh? Oh man, I'm the and we talked to, kind of referenced it uh, during the trench run where the music drops out and it just adds uh, so much more gravity to the situation rather than uh, you know what it could add with the music there. I remember being in the theater and seeing it, the, the charge drop. Seismic charges. Stand by. And then everything go quiet. And I think everybody was holding their breath because they didn't know what was going to happen. And then it explodes. To have that sonic charge ring out into a theater that first time, everyone just gasped. And it, it phenomenal uh, sound editing uh, for, for that seismic charge. Uh, and yeah, where it's, it, that was like everyone's favorite moment uh, after uh, asking people as we were coming out, man, what, what would you think? What, what was your favorite moment? Oh, man, that seismic charge was just bananas. And, and it really was. It, it, it was it, uh, that itself was a work of art. Hang on. You know, ILM always pushing the envelope forward and giving us new things for us fans to enjoy, especially the uh, the visual effects and the audio effects. It's, uh, again, something that is synonymous, I think, with Star Wars, bringing uh, the, uh, the visual and the audio together to form such a memorable uh, thing for us fans to enjoy. But absolutely, um, you know, we... Um, 
there's a little bit of that in the uh, the sequels when we get into uh, you know the Haldo maneuver. Uh, if we get to talk a little bit about that, but just the, the aspect of using silence, you know, in, in print, you have a concept called, uh, white space. You have a concept, uh, not white space. I forgot what it was. Now I'm drawing a blank negative space. Um, so that is, that's kind of equivalent to having, you know, having no music and relying just on obviously what you're seeing on screen, but also relying on the environment to tell the story. And, uh, you know, as we know, you know, sound designer Ben Burt was all about the environment. Uh, we know the stories of him going out, uh, you know, in the late 70s to collect uh, just a ton of of audio for the Star Wars library. And it's such a, a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful aspect of the films to be able to create all these sounds and not have them recycled from other movies, just mm-hmm. create, create them, you know, from scratch and then combine certain things and tweak, uh, you know, the frequencies of certain things. It really does um, give you the sense of this is again, you know, going back to George's original used universe look, it gives you a sense that these things existed somewhere and um, goes a long way to uh to making this this type of thing very enjoyable the the sound um sound is organic uh even if it is digitally created uh, a lot of it is uh is organic and we tend to associate that type of stuff with uh, things that we might have seen or heard previously and it it ends up being a uh, a living and breathing organism all of its own and especially in these shots where it drops out and you're like, there's something missing. What am I waiting for? And then it just smacks you in the face. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it just gives you that holy crap moment. And you're like, wow, okay, that was worth it. Absolutely. I want to touch on the opening sequence. You know, we talk about opening sequences in Star Wars. Whenever we go and see a new Star Wars movie, we're always, you know, chomping at the bit and trying to figure out, well, what are we going to experience here with this opening sequence? Um, Revenge of the Sith has uh, an amazing opening sequence, but I want to talk about that right after we say thank you to all our patrons. So we'll be right back. All right, time for the big thank yous podcast family to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you, wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, What Up Joey, The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt, super fan of many of the Red 5 Network pods, Nicholas Schaefer, follow him at Backyard Tardis. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida, our other Floridians, Frank, at the garrison level. Big thanks. And looking at you, Steve, from Rogue One Radio. Check out that Red 5 pod for movies, music, TV, and more. And certainly not least, our executor level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Conversions Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast. Big thank you, Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. And our newest garrison-level patron, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. 
Huge respect to all our patrons for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scarif Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. All right. Thank you guys uh, for sticking around. We are uh, talking about some wonderful space battles in Star Wars and their significance both in-universe and behind the scenes. I got DJ with me here. We're talking about some space battles. Before the break, I mentioned uh, how Star Wars is known for opening sequences, obviously we had the uh, Star Destroyer going overhead. In the original Star Wars, we have some other fantastic opening sequences. But uh, Revenge of the Sith, um, and I had posted a question to uh, some of our Twitter followers, and I know you were tagged on there. A lot of people mentioned the opening sequence of Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith, the third uh, film in the prequel trilogy, which uh, was, again... A, a visual masterpiece when it comes to uh, opening sequences in Star Wars. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? How does that start out, and uh, what kind of feelings does that give you? It's uh, it's got to be one of the best opening sequences in all of cinema. It's uh, and I talk about scale a lot. And in for movies like this, uh, it's important to get that scale set so you realize that it's not just uh, me or you or one ship or two ships, but the layers upon layers upon layers. So when when you open up and you see these ships and you're flying through and then you bank up, I believe you bank upwards first and you see that there's ships above you fighting and you do a barrel roll and you go down and you actually see the planet. Coruscant is right there and you just see the layers upon layers of ships that are below you then you're flying in and out of all of these ships uh, and you finally were able to lock on to uh, General Grievous's uh, ship. And you zero in on that and, uh, and the action takes you away. But just the sheer scale, there's action above you, there's action below you, behind you, everywhere you can think of, you're in the middle of a battle. And it's not just one ship or two ships. This is a mighty battle, and you are front and center right there with it. And it was absolutely glorious it was like riding a roller coaster with uh without a safety harness uh is what is how i describe it um you're right the camera the camera does some wonderful tumbles 
and uh, watching it unfold and going over the uh, the ship and seeing you know hundreds and hundreds of other ships in the in the far distance, you can t- definitely tell uh, scale and scope in this battle. Um, and one of the things that really impresses me again. Uh, about this is the use of music. Um, it's at the beginning, it's very quiet. You see the two Jedi starfighters in the foreground and, uh, then they start to swoop over and that's when, that's when, um, all hell breaks loose, uh, literally. Um, but you've got some really great drums in this sequence, Mm. which, um, lends, lends to the, I don't know, the effect of, of, of grand scale, um, there's almost a, 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 uh, I don't know, a, a weird juxtaposition between the chaos of battle and the pomp and circumstance of these, of these steady drum beats. It's almost like you're hearing your heart um, up there on screen. And the way these shots were designed, you definitely are feeling your heart in your throat. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, the way that it switches between drums and uh, a a march uh, that uh, John Williams composes for this one. Uh, It's uh, I could hear it echoing in my head and uh, depending on what you're looking at is the type of music that's being played uh, and the way that it just uh, it flows so well and it just sweeps you up into that moment and you're like, you know, this, this is the ride of a lifetime right here. Yeah, we we get to uh, we get to see a lot of digital effects. You know, again, George Lucas kind of playing around with the digital palette, um, but I think it works so well here because there's just so much in the screen. There's so much in the frame going back and forth. There's a couple of sequences where uh, some clone. Uh, ships get uh, blown up and you can see the clones kind of uh, ejecting and floating in space with their suits and just whipping right past you. If, uh, if this was kind of a, an Oculus Prime 360 environment, um, that would be amazing because you can see the, the smoke, you can see debris just fly right past you as, as you're uh, sitting in there with Obi-Wan and Anakin flying those ships. It's, it's just really a, a really wonderful, wonderful sequence. It's exciting. And uh, again, just, uh, you know, sets the stage for, um, for what's to come uh, in the story, obviously. And, uh, you know, from behind the scenes aspect, it's, I, I really love it. Yeah. Even the, the conclusion uh, of, um, of the battle itself when Anakin is uh, flying uh, half a ship uh, back down to the ground. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, if that's half the ship, wow, that's a, that's just, it, it was huge. Um, it just, yeah. Well, just one of the best opening sequences uh, of a movie I've seen 
and uh, there's not really much that can match that. Absolutely. Wonderful sequence. Um, you know, and obviously Revenge of the Sith has a lot uh, to do story-wise with uh, the fall of Anakin at this point. What else do we get as far as space battles uh, in Revenge of the Sith? I know, um, you know, we obviously have the epic moments uh, battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Um, but as far as space battles, anything in, in space, a spaceship, I don't think there's are any more significant space battles. Am I wrong? Yeah, uh, the, we got that. Uh, it was almost a one and done on that one. Uh, there's a few, you know, shots of, you know, landing on different planets, uh, but we didn't really get too many battles. Most of the, uh, combat in the story was, uh, largely ground-based on this one. So now we fast forward to the wonderful sequel trilogy that uh, is comprised of The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, respectively speaking here, of our final trilogy in the Skywalker saga. I actually said that with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) But all kidding aside, you know, this, uh, this trilogy does have some... Um, pretty cool space battles, and I'm uh, I'm gonna start with uh, the Force Awakens. One of the great things of the Force Awakens is is how um, they introduce some of our legacy characters, and I do want to include the Millennium Falcon as a legacy character, uh, especially her first flight in the Force Awakens. Uh, right there on Jakku, avoiding those TIE fighters, which was an amazing, amazing sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, getting back to behind the scenes, I think if you uh, watch any of these behind the scenes for The Force Awakens and see how that sequence was created, and I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is absolutely all digital uh, when it comes to uh, to that sequence, which was uh, really impressive. Um, again, you know, Keeping in mind that, you know, by this time, George Lucas has uh, very little to do with the, uh, the planning and, and movement of, of, of these shots. Uh, but we do know that J.J. Abrams uh, has always been kind of a fan of, of, uh, of Star Wars and George Lucas. Um, I think he did a good job with, with designing, especially this uh, this is this uh, this battle here between the Falcon and the Tie Fighter. Um, what what do you think? I it yeah it was uh, it reminded me a lot of the uh, Return of the Jedi scene with the Millennium Falcon going through the oh um, yes uh, the, the, Death, the Star second Death Star right. Um, but uh, it was still fresh and it added in new. Uh, new components, uh, like when Finn's uh, gun got jammed. Well, how are you going to fix that? You know, it's stuck in position. So Ray does a, a couple of crazy moves and gets it to line up just right. And, um, you know, it, just watching it and just being able to see the Millennium Falcon fly again uh, was absolutely amazing. Chewie. We're home. 
I didn't know what we were going to get in this uh, this new trilogy. And so to to see something as familiar as a space battle, even if it was, you know, looked a, a little bit similar to one that we'd seen before, uh, just the nostalgia factor of the, the Falcon flying again uh, and a few new wrinkles here and there, uh, you know, it, it almost uh, overshadowed uh, the space battle that I really wanted to see, which was, you know, you have all of these star destroyers that are buried in the sand. How did that oh, happen? Right. And why couldn't we have seen that uh, that battle? And you know, uh, even if it was, uh, you know, you see the battle and then you flash forward and you know, uh, and then here they are all buried in sand. Uh, you know, that would have been uh, amazing to see. But you know, uh, it is what it is, and we got what we got. Uh, but yeah, it's there really um there wasn't a whole lot of space battles, uh at least to me in um in, in the entire sequel trilogy, really. Uh we get we get one or two uh per movie, and yes, they're big uh and they're pivotal, but uh we don't get a whole lot of shots. Most of everything is um, you know, uh, similar to the like the prequel trilogy, where you, you get a lot of the backstory, or uh, you know, here's what everybody's been up to since, uh, and you know, uh, it's, it's lar- largely ground based. So yeah, but uh, you know, one of the things that I'm um, that I really enjoyed watching was uh, the Millennium Falcon fly again, like you said. Um, again, you know, from the music to the, the, the uplifting moments of, of those musical cues. And finally, when she's, uh, up in the air and the TIE fighters are chasing her, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I'm serious when I say that the Millennium Falcon is a character, uh, you know, unto itself, I, I think, uh, um, absolutely she is. So it's, it's wonderful to have seen her fly again, um, in the force awakens, uh, but you are you're right. I think the Force Awakens has a lot of callbacks, and obviously, I think at this point we all know that that was done on purpose. It was done by design. They wanted to tug at our heartstrings. Um, you know, we may never know what uh, what uh, JJ actually wanted to to, to accomplish with uh, with uh, his version of of this film. But um, like you said, we got what we got. And um, Millennium Falcon flying through the uh, old uh, destroyed uh, Star Destroyer was was still pretty cool. I, I liked it. The garbage will do. So getting back to the second film of the sequel trilogy, The Last Jedi, my favorite. It's time for the Jedi to end. But I actually, um, and this, uh, you know, not to be uh, tongue-in-cheekish here, but I actually don't remember a lot of The Last Jedi. There's some pivotal moments, um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the Haldo maneuver, which to me was pretty damn jaw-dropping. The theater 
the theater was completely silent when that sequence happened. Um, I think visually it was cool. And I know it's tied to a lot of controversy regarding breaking canon and breaking the physics of Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to get into that. But I think visually, I think it was, it was really cool. I think it was, uh, it was gutsy. And, um, you know, when I saw it in the theater, I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it, it, to me, it was unexpected. I, I really uh, didn't foresee that. I just, uh, I wasn't sure how they were going to pull it off. I just knew that, you know, hey, the, the, they're going to survive somehow. Uh, and then to see that maneuver being, uh, you know, uh, taken on, it was just like, oh, wow. You know, is this really going to work? Is this how they're really going to pull this off? And and it did. And it and regardless of all the flack that it uh, that it might have gotten, it was an impressive shot. It really was. Um, and the sacrifice that uh, that was given uh, in order for uh, for them to escape. Um, yeah, I really didn't understand all the science behind uh, some of the concepts and but i'm not a uh a theorist or uh, a physicist or uh, whatever scientific group that is that uh, determines the the physics of how how space works but uh you know my criteria was uh you know hey was it visually appealing yes did it uh, enhance the story yes all right well here we go let's uh you know, let's move on in the story and not belabor the fact. Yeah, I'm not a scientist, but I play one on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, you know, at this point, um, the uh, space battles in Star Wars uh, you know, again, cemented in the pantheon of cinema, um, they created a certain style. Uh, I haven't really seen anything, I guess, uh, you know, uh, new as far as space battles goes from from any of the newer Star Wars. Um, although, you know, you know, we all we talked about how the special effects have been. Uh, changing the game when it comes to, to, to I guess, to composing certain shots. Uh, and I do want to cut to the chase and get into uh, Rogue One, um, especially because of uh, there's something on your list that you had submitted. The, uh, the Battle of Scarif, uh, when... Um, Again, you know, all these TIE fighters in the in space uh, versus the uh, the wonderful X-Wings of the Rebellion. Um, it's an impressive sequence. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm not even sure where to begin on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's so massive as far as a space battle. Uh, and the fact that they have a, uh, I guess, a port uh, of entry uh, that um, somehow is sealed off. And if you're going to get into the planet, then you had to get through uh, these, uh, you know, these ships to, uh, to get to the surface. Um, and so you start off uh, up high and then as, as the battle progresses, then you get into the planet itself 
and uh, and the battle continues there at the ground level. So, such a multi uh, you know leveled uh, attack it was. It, it reminded me a lot of the. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, where, you know, there's attacks on so many fronts and so many different layers, uh, even uh, nudging uh, Star Destroyers to uh, into each other to incapacitate them. Uh, to the X-Wings uh, flying in uh, and uh, wreaking havoc. And I think the the coolest thing of them all is it was a different type of planet that we had never seen before, uh, where it's this uh, desert oasis-looking uh, uh, tropical location that was absolutely gorgeous, um, so yeah, it's uh, winners on all fronts on this one. Uh, so well layered and so well choreographed uh, for this attack. Absolutely. And uh, again, you know, I think the technology is at a point where they can really do anything when it comes to space battles. I think their only uh, their only limitation is uh, is I guess their imagination as far as story goes. You know, we. We talk about space battles and their functionality within the story. Uh, you know, nobody's going to jump in a ship and just fly, you know, all blind. Um, there's got to be some motivation to it. But I think the special effects, like I said, has afforded the filmmakers to really, you know, they can create anything they want. Um, now it's it's up to them to kind of think of a reason why uh, we would have a space battle in any uh, upcoming Star Wars movie. Um and, um, you know, sky's the limit when it comes to imagination. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to when Star Wars gets back in the, on the big screen. Uh, I really miss going to a, a movie theater to, to, to watch uh, a Star War. Um, but I know we've got some great stuff coming um, on the small screen with Disney Plus and the streaming service that we are all enjoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, Kenobi once it drops later on in May. And that uh, should be a lot of fun because uh, we know that he doesn't stay on Tatooine. He's got to jump in a ship at least and go somewhere else. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even uh, even shows like The Mandalorian have uh, have done, spa- uh, you know, a few space battles here and there. Um, the, whether it's the, uh, new type of TIE fighter that, uh, Moff Gideon has, yes. uh, or the Razor Crest, uh, you know, coming through, uh, we get to see, uh, the return of Slave One, um, in this show as well. Uh, so yeah, there, we, we do get, uh, get our moments. It might not be on the, uh, the large screen, which, uh, like you said, can't wait to, uh, see a uh, a feature length uh, movie that we can go and get that uh, that whole complete surround sound effect uh, and see it on a larger screen. Uh, but th- what they've done so far has uh, they've done really well with it. Absolutely, and uh, just looking forward to more stuff. 
Um, I guess any, um, we are over an hour and honestly, I did not think that we would be able to carry a conversation about space battles. Um, I told the wife that I'd be like maybe 40 minutes tops, but here we are. (laughs) Any, um, any final thoughts or any final, uh, items that you want to mention about Star Wars space battles and their significance? Uh, I'm just I'm just looking looking forward to what uh, the future holds um, as far as story, uh, as far as technology to, uh, again, bring home that uh, that believability and that realistic nature uh, that we can get Um, uh, the Patty Jenkins X-Wing or Rogue Squadron uh, movie uh, really got uh, piqued my interest. So hopefully that's still on track. Uh, I would love to uh, see a bunch of TIE fighters uh, roaming around and just uh, wreaking havoc on whatever the Empire has to offer. Um, But yeah, hey, uh, I really appreciate the invite. And uh, I wasn't sure how long this was going to go either. But uh, when you have uh, two people that are as passionate as as we are as far as Star Wars, uh, uh, we could probably fill a couple of hours at least on this. Absolutely. I find it interesting that you uh, that your interest has been piqued because of Rogue Squadron. Uh, you who uh, bear the uh, the uniform of uh, of their enemies. Well, you know, um, <laughs> nothing will ever beat a Tie Fighter, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's just uh, uh, it's the coolest thing around. Uh, but you know. Um, any chance to see uh, Star Wars on a big screen is uh, uh, okay with me. And as one of our shirts that is no longer available thanks to a Disney Plus copyright infringement case, uh, we like to say, friends don't let friends fly X-Wings. Isn't that right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. DJ, thank you so much for joining me tonight. We uh, had such a wonderful discussion on space battles, their importance here on uh, Star Wars. Uh, But I want to let folks know where people can find you. Um, And I want to give you a a, a big thank you. I just got a a whole slew of Rogue One Radio stickers. Thank you, Nicole and Steve, very much. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I'm part of the host team for uh, Rogue One Radio. Uh, we uh, we normally go live on YouTube on Tuesdays um, with my work schedule. I'm not able to join them this week, uh, So, but it allowed me to join uh, you here talking about the, uh, the space battles. Um, I'm also uh, doing a, a solo project called The Exegesis. Uh, we just had our first episode drop um, yesterday, uh, which was Monday, uh, and uh, interviewed uh, a young lady named Amelia, and we talked about the uh, MCU and specifically WandaVision, uh, which is uh, one of her favorite uh, fandoms. So had a great time with that yesterday. Awesome. I was in the chat. I saw you. Um, I got to say, you are a very uh, natural interviewer. And uh, I just wanted to point that out. It, it's uh, It was a lot of fun watching you guys interact. And I know she was a little nervous because she's, uh, you know, she's... Uh, She's a young lady there, not used to being in front of the camera, but uh, you, uh, I, I think you made her comfortable, and I, I want to congratulate you on your skills there. 
Well, I, I appreciate it. I learned it all by watching you. Not at all. Not at all. Thank you so much, my friend. Again, if uh, if you guys have anything to say about Space Battles of Star Wars, we'd love to hear uh, what you have to say. Give us a call on the Scare of Scuttlebutt hotline at 773-234-8659. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, even if you don't want to talk about Space Battles, you want to give us uh, ideas uh, on other topics, maybe a quick cuts show topic, or just to say hello Seven seven three two three four eight six five nine. We are part of the Red Five Network, along with DJ Rogue Squadron. There, Rogue One Radio. Uh, we'd love to have you guys check us all out, the Red Five Family, and look for that hashtag, Red Five Family, the number five. Uh, every time you get on Twitter, we've, we're doing something. We, I think we must be live every day of the week. So that is fantastic. We've got content of over 37 uh, podcasts and uh, more people are wanting to get in on this. Uh, we uh, really made an impression and I hope we made a good impression on, uh, on the fandom community. We just love to entertain. We love to interact with all of you, whether you're a Red 5 content creator or not. We love our followers. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Find us wherever you get your other favorite podcasts. We are Scare of Podcasts. This is Ro, that's DJ, and that is The Scuttlebutt. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Just wanted to remind you all, we can be found wherever you find your other favorite shows. iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Backtracks FM, Podtail, Owltail, Google Podcast, and of course, our own Red5Network.com to name a few. And don't forget to drop us a voicemail at 773-234-8659, our Scuttlebutt hotline. We want to hear what's on your mind. Your call is very important to us. Let us know what you think of the show, what future topics we should tackle, or just to say, hello there. Please hold. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. Network.